You're listening to Finding Neurodivergence, a podcast that brings awareness, resources, and community to neurodivergence everywhere. Welcome to Finding Neurodivergence. I'm Patty Crouch. I'm one of your hosts, and my co-host is... Hi, I'm Suzanne Shepard. And this is our podcast. So this is how it started. Um, Suzanne had this brilliant idea. So tell us about it. Thank you. Um, The idea I had was I have three children that are neurodivergent. And when I was trying to find diagnosis or help with their, their issues or any type of resources, the best resources that I fell upon were actually, honestly, other parents and especially other other moms. And so what I realized was there were so many people in my community that once they knew that I had three neurodivergent children and I would talk about it openly, um, I would get so many phone calls, emails, texts, um, privately or openly that wanted help on what do we do? How do we diagnose our child? What do we do with the school? How does your family cope with it? And what I ended up doing over the last couple of years is just doling out tons of advice and also um, being a, a listening ear, a lot of empathy. And I realized that there's this whole community in, in our area, probably in the whole United States and the world, that has children that are neuro, neurodivergent that aren't easily um, diagnosed. And there's not a lot of support for people um, that have children like that. And there's not a lot of empathy. And there's not a real community. I mean, there's community online, but there's not a real offline community that we can go and help each other. And so we decided with Patty, my good friend, um, that we would start a podcast. And really the podcast is to be real and be open and be honest and not sugarcoat anything because a lot of this is really difficult um, and allow you know the listeners to be able to hear our stories and other people's stories so that it can help them. It can make them laugh it can make them cry it can be an empathetic ear it can be their friend on a day that they need one and that's really why we started this yeah I feel like when you become a neurodivergent mom you feel alone because it's so overwhelming because you want the best for your child yet where do you go how do you cope all that stuff and I'm glad that we're doing this so that at least they have a people have a podcast to go to that can make them feel less alone you know, and hopefully they'll laugh. I'll definitely cry because you'll find out really quickly. I'm a crier. Yep. A big, big cry. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so we'll start a cry count so far. Yes. I've only cried <laughs> once today, but it hasn't been on the podcast yet. Um, but we'll do a cry count just to make it fun. But I'm excited because I, I love being creative and I, I love that this world of creativity is meeting the world, my world of neurodivergent kids. Right. So it's going to be good. So stick around, listen to all of them. Um, this one actually is going to, since this is Suzanne's baby, she's the one who had the brilliant idea and then realized I podcast before and was like, well, let's do it together. And I was like, I'm in because I love podcasting. Yep. Yep. So this one's all about Suzanne. Oh my God. Oh, help me. Okay. So we already divulged that you have three neurodivergent kids. That's correct. How old are they? So I have a 12 year old twins, twin girls, they're fraternal. Um, one of them is dyslexic, but really her issue is she has an impaired working memory, which a lot of people 
aren't aware of or realize that what that diagnosis means. And we can, we'll talk about that later. Um, but it's like a severe, severe form of dyslexia, basically is the best way to describe it. Um, her other twin Jojo is, um, is autistic and is ADHD and is highly gifted. So she's the trifecta. Um, and then their, their older brother who just turned 15 is, um, has ADHD and ADHD runs in my family pretty deep and wide. I also have ADHD. I was like, so deep that you have so it. So deep that I have it. Turns out most parents that have ADHD have kids with ADHD. So that's my world. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's what I'm living on a daily basis. Exactly. It's, it's definitely a lot more than your average family that has three kids, a dog, and, you know, a fish with a picket fence. Yeah, it's it is. a lot. A lot more complex. A lot more exciting. I mean, it's fun. And it's interesting. It's never a dull moment, but it's it's not easy. It's not easy. Yeah. Trust me. I, I can imagine. Yeah. Um, actually, I can. I know. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> I'm not very neurodivergent <laughs> kids, but this is not my episode. This is yours. Okay. So we're going to focus on JoJo today. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. Um, and she's one of the twins that just, she's 12. She's 12. Yep. And one, like how old was she when you first noticed that like something... You know, here's the thing is that this is the tricky part and this is why I really wanted to do this is that we, I noticed something as a mother that something was off with her really early on. And when you go to a typical, um, you know, your typical uh, doctor or pediatrician and, and I think so many parents go through this and I have a lot of empathy for the pediatricians, but when you go to them and you say, you know what, I think there's something wrong with my child. And with JoJo, it was the tantrums. They weren't normal. They were explosive. Um, they were uncontrollable. And they were really, really disruptive to her and the family. And I couldn't figure out what was going on with her. So like at two, like tantrum two? Two. I mean, 18 months? like 18 months. Yeah, 18 months. Um and even when she was a tiny baby, she was really fussy. Like when she got out of the bath, she would scream bloody murder because she was cold and literally couldn't be calmed down for, you know, you know, half an hour. So there's all these little clues, but I didn't have any language or any knowledge about what it was. And every time I would go to the pediatrician, I'd say, you know what? I just think this isn't normal. I think it's not normal that she's having these tantrums. I think it's not normal that these tantrums are that long. I think it's not normal that she's so upset all the time. And so now I have the word dysregulated. And the pediatrician would say to me, oh, no, you're just lucky because your other two don't have tantrums and you just have a child that has tantrums. So basically get used to it, suck it up, and live your life. And that's kind of what we're told. Yeah, the first time you're told you're a crazy mom and not actually a in-tuned mom. Exactly. And especially when your pediatrician is a female and she has kids of her own and she even has one that's neurodivergent. She has a dyslexic child, which she told me, and she's telling me that I'm basically overreacting and this is normal and I should just go home and cope and see you later, basically. And that's the advice you get. And that's from professional, which then makes you feel, I'm, I'm, I'm projecting a little bit probably because that's yeah. how I feel, but it makes yeah. you feel like you are crazy and you, makes you doubt because they're yep. the ones who are supposed to know Yep. and you're the one who doesn't because you didn't go to med school. Exactly. So you're thinking, well, maybe I am overreacting. Well, maybe this is and maybe that is. But yeah. deep down in your heart, you're like, 
There's no. something wrong. And but then you no. question your parenting. And then you think, well, maybe I'm just not parenting them correctly. I'm not being strict enough. And I'm not being, you know, I'm not giving them enough time out. So then you start to question your parent and you go through all of the parenting tools that you're told to use, which which doesn't work Honestly, you know, what turns out with a kid with autism, none of that works. It's actually backfires on you. So that's when I had a first inclination and um, she didn't have any of the other quote unquote common clues of autism. But because she's a girl, autism presents completely different for girls. The majority of all of the autism study is done on boys. And so literally today, 2022, the majority of all of the research is only from boys having autism. That's Why it. Why is that? I have no idea. It is insane. But anyone you ask, they will. The, the person that ended up diagnosing JoJo focused only on girls, and she confirmed the same thing. And she, you know, is with Cedar Sinai, and she's a PhD, and she specializes in this. And she said the majority of all the research is on boys. I wonder if it's the same thing with ADHD because I feel like that it is and dyslexia. Okay. It's okay. crazy. That is crazy. Okay, so give us a quick, quick like <laughs> in a nutshell, <laughs> how does autism present in females that's different than males? Well, the the tricky thing about autism is that it's different for everyone, and so, so it is with life. So it is with life. So there's not one thing. I mean, there's five indicators that they say that if you have these five indicators, you definitely have autism. But for girls, girls are really, really um, savvy about masking, which means that they can cover up their social awkwardness. Girls mm-hmm. typically can manage socially for a while. So they don't present as someone that um, doesn't have friends or doesn't make you know, eye contact, Jojo makes eye contact. And that was the, one of the big indicators I kept hearing is that, well, she makes eye contact. So she's not autistic. Um, she is able to cope better just from a social standpoint. So from social standpoint, she looks quote unquote normal. Okay. Um, and she presents quote unquote normal. The areas that she struggles in are, um, regulation so getting overloaded with emotion and sensory overload and not being able to regulate that emotional um sensory issue and explosions so she would have explosions and she wouldn't be able to come back from those explosions which are called you know we, we don't use the term asperger's but they used to be called asperger tantrums which basically you just get completely overwhelmed with what society's putting in front of you noise sound feeling touch you know um, and you just literally melt down, literally melt down, screaming, crying, and there's no coming back from them. And it's very hard to pull them back. And it can happen anywhere at any time for any reason. And that's the really tricky part about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. And how are you? My favorite thing is like, well, what happens beforehand? I'm like, not in a nanosecond. <laughs> like, how I am know. I supposed to know? I love what that. Happened? Like, I just. I know. It's like every single like, uh, parenting thing is like, yeah. we try to avoid, avoid it. it. Like, what? what? I, I know. can't avoid going to the grocery store and then yeah. randomly being a person who's wearing too much perfume there. Like, yeah, that's, I can't I avoid that. It's like, ins- how? I mean, it's Ugh. insane. Every single specialist, teacher, therapist, blah, 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 is always like, well, what happens before? And I'm like, if I f- knew, if 
I fucking knew, then I would try to avoid that. But you don't know when you have a child that's autistic what is going to set them off and how quickly it sets them off. It's just absurd. It is just absurd. And then I immediately thought, of like, once again, we had the emotional female, you know? Like the exactly. dramatic female and all exactly. this. Oh, this is just going to be a dramatic female. Yeah, like, exactly. It's nothing exactly. It's normal for yeah. a girl when reality is, like, People, no. we have feelings and yes, we yeah. tend to be more nurturing yeah. and emotional yeah. in the sense that we're more in tune to our feelings than yeah. the male counterpart. Yeah. But doesn't mean that like, yeah. this isn't like, uh, okay, sorry. Yeah. I and, I, and I, yeah. And, and it's just, it's so crazy because two people would just tell me, well, that's her personality and that's just how she's going to be for the rest of her life. And she's just sensitive and she's just explosive and she doesn't have a high tolerance. And so, you know what? Just deal. You're going to just have to deal with it. And you know what? She's going to have to deal with it, which is even worse because she doesn't, FYI, want to be like that, which people think, oh, they're doing that because they just want to. It's They're doing it because they can't control themselves. And that's the saddest part. And so, so much of that, I got so much of that when she was younger. You know, like that's her personality. Maybe it's how you're parenting. Ugh. Maybe you're not strict enough. Maybe you need to, you know, try. We tried a million different stupid parenting tips and tricks, books, et cetera, et cetera. And the nutshell is, is none of it works because she wasn't diagnosed, hadn't been diagnosed. So we were just shooting in the fucking barrel. So when did you finally get pushed to a diagnosis? Like, did you just keep bringing it up? Did you just keep? We were just, we just were coping. We were like really coping and we didn't realize how badly we were coping. And we didn't realize like how much we were in crisis in the family because we were just used to this as our everyday life of Josephine exposed. We try to calm her down. Everyone's embarrassed. People are crying and the pattern just continued. And so finally she has one teacher, Mr. Velasquez. I love you. Shout out to Mr. Velasquez because he's an amazing teacher. And he is one of the few teachers that has the balls to approach a parent and say I think there's something wrong with your kid in a nice way and so he was she was in second grade and he said there's something wrong with Jojo like I love her she's brilliant she's funny but she just is explosive in the classroom and there's something going on outside of just her being you know explosive or irritable and he thought it was ADHD and so we went and we took her to a neuropsych we spent tons of money which we'll get into on another episode to get her diagnosed. And the neuropsych basically gave us information we already knew. And we asked the neuropsych several times, are you sure she's not autistic? Absolutely not. Because she makes eye contact. She has friends. She's funny. It's just, she's overly sensitive. Okay. And she has a low tolerance. And um, she's very, very smart. So her IQ is off the charts. So Which makes the masking even more. Which makes the masking even more prominent because she knows how to mask. She's, yeah, she's smart. She knows she's how smart. to, she's to smart. accommodate herself yeah. so that it, it works. And then here's another professional that makes another you feel like you're a crazy yeah. mom who yep. doesn't know anything. Yep. And yep. then you do question your parenting. The mental yeah. gymnastics in it's, parenting it is, is insane. so exhausting. It's insane. And here you're relying on these people to help you. And they're not helping you, you know? So then... We go through another few years and then during COVID, it just really exploded. Her behavior got out of control and we had, she was in 
We had her in therapy for two years based on that neuropsych, but she was just seeing a regular cognitive therapist. That therapist didn't know what was wrong with her. Matthew and I would go into meetings and be like, what is going on with her? Why is she behaving this way? And the therapist told us the same thing. Well, she's got big emotions. She's really sensitive, on and on and on and on. So we pay for two years, we had another therapist telling us that she was just emotional. She was highly intelligent. This is just the way you're going to have to live. And it's a terrible, terrible way to think you're going to have to live the rest of your life like that, and especially for your child. And yeah. so she really melted down during COVID. We got a new therapist. The new therapist so met So COVID, with her. she's in fourth grade. She was in fourth going okay. into, she was fourth, fifth grade. I'm just trying COVID. to follow the timeline. Yeah. Okay. So second grade and then. COVID messed me up with timeline in general, because yeah. you know, but. Yeah, I know. <laughs> the okay. last. So yeah. she. In fourth so grade, okay. She went, so during COVID, she really started to act out because she was dysregulated. Her whole schedule was off, of course, for someone with um, autism, not having a schedule is like the kiss of death, which you know. And then we got our new therapist because we couldn't really figure out what was going on with her. And the new therapist, I mean, it's not funny, but it is funny, Jojo. I'm sorry I'm telling you the story, but you'll laugh about it now. She literally got online with a new therapist because it was COVID and just screamed at her the whole time and would, <laughs> and would slam the screen down. And that was her therapy sessions, right, for about a few weeks. And then we were like, well, what do you think is going on with her? And the new therapist, even though she wasn't very kind, was very insightful. Okay. And she just said, there is something major going on with this child. She is in crisis. And I want you to put her on medication. And Matthew and I were like, okay, well, luckily we're smart enough to know that we're not going to put our child on medication if we don't know what's really wrong with her. Right. So we said to that therapist, well, what is wrong with her? What type? Okay, so put her on medication for what? You know, what yeah. are we going to do? Because the, the earlier neuroside didn't even catch the ADHD yet. No, okay, no, no, none of the ADHD either. So we luckily Matthew and I have enough knowledge, my husband Matthew, and we said no, we're not going to put her on medication. We will get her tested again by another neuropsych that specializes in girls. That's and so we will up the ante in terms of who we find. And this person was highly, highly recommended. And they're um, attached to Cedar Sinai, which is a really reputable, you know, hospital in LA. And, um, but you know what? The other thing is these poor, like, think about it. If I didn't have that knowledge, right? This is what happens with girls. And I'm going to go on a tangent and you can stop me with, with, with Asperger's or autism is that they're diagnosed <coughs> differently and so they're misdiagnosed. So if we had taken the advice of that therapist, we would have put, they would have said she was anxious and depressed. And so we would have gone down a whole other rabbit hole and probably we would never found out what was really wrong with her, you know? And it's really, really sad. And I think that happens a lot, a lot with girls. And I, I know another girl that that happened to, and it's very sad. Um, yeah, because ADHD and autism always, I feel like gets always, I use these all or nothing words <laughs> no, all the but time. It's true. But always get diagnosed as anxiety or depressed yep. or emotional yep. or and it's in reality it's like it's regulation skills. Exactly. <laughs> like it's nothing else but yeah. regulation skills. Yeah. Yeah. Which not skills, but regulation the ability to regulate yeah. or like a, defi you know, a deficiency in regulation. Regulation. Yeah. Um yeah, that's crazy. Could could you imagine? And then it's not like these drugs they don't aren't solve gonna, anything. Well, it's not like if they you do. take it, well, if you yeah. take it, it's, it's, it's your brain. So it's not exactly. like it's going to change. It's like, it's, 
important to do the right thing because you're messing with the brain, which is a very vital organ. Yep. So I can't imagine all these misdiagnoses and what it's doing yeah. to people's brains when they're taking the medicines that aren't designed to really help, to help them. What's you know? going on with them and their self-confidence and how they feel about themselves and the confusion of a child not knowing why. You know, JoJo was at a point where she knew that she wasn't behaving properly and she was embarrassed and she was ashamed. And it was just, it was a downward spiral for her at that point. So we took her to the really high-end neuropsych, which some of the majority of the people in this country would never be able to afford. How um, much was it? Just say it. Uh, $7,000, $7,000 out of pocket, no insurance, nothing, not a mucho. Did you go the first time with insurance? No, nope. uh, First time wasn't. First time I think was like 3,500. Second grade was 3,500. Okay. Without a real diagnosis. This is where our stories are very different because yeah. we adopted through foster care. Lots of stuff is taken care of. Yeah. But you're not going to, I'm never going to be able to see this. Exactly. Like, specialist that specializes in girls, yeah. which is what JoJo needs. Needs. You know? Yeah. So even so if crazy. you have insurance and even if you're in, you know, the system with foster care, then basically, and I'm just going to say it because it's true and no one wants to fucking talk about it, is you get subpar um, care you get you don't have access to these specialists you don't have access to the best people you don't have access to the people that these kids actually need to see yeah it's very very rare that it's you're going to be very rare able that, to have someone that's going to work yeah so so that it's going to be a network you know it's yep. going to be who accepts medical which is yep. not a lot of no. people yep so it's it's crazy. Just, yeah, that's a whole other rabbit hole we can go down but so she another episode another episode about yeah, so we so we took her there. Uh, Rita Eckenstein, Dr. Rita Eckenstein, amazing, wonderful, knew what she was doing, and we had her diagnosed over a, probably a week. They actually she actually brought another colleague in while she was trying to diagnose. Is this Jojo. all during COVID over Zoom? No, we were really really lucky because she had an outdoor facility because we would not get her diagnosed over Zoom because it was too important to us. And yeah. so we had I mean, the whole Zoom thing changes no, the dynamics of everything. everything. There's no way. And my, and we were I was like, I'm not going to pay money to have someone diagnose my child over Zoom. There's just no way. OK, that's cool. So she had an outdoor facility um, and probably that's why she costs as much, too, because she was the only one that was diagnosing kids probably at that time in person. And Jojo wore a shield and a mask and they did it outside and. We got tested and everything like that. So we were really lucky and they did it outside in person and they did it over probably three to four days. And she actually brought in another person to look at Jojo because Jojo was so tricky. And then we finally got the right diagnosis and literally our world changed. Okay. Overnight. Diagnosis day. Overnight. That's what I call diagnosis it. Diagnosis day. day. Right. What year? Like, do you remember the day? I don't remember the day she was, oh my God, I got to look for that stuff. She must have been in fourth going into fifth grade. And she's in seventh grade now. So it was like two years ago. Yeah. So it was during two, COVID. It was during COVID. Yeah. They were just, they were still not at school yet. Yeah. So it was during COVID. Yeah. Okay. So it's probably it was at late the 2020. And yeah, late, late 2020. Yeah. Early 2021, I think. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
And then did, was it like a phone call? Did y'all, did you meet her in person? Like, no, so we did it. Tell me about diagnosis. No, so we do. So when you get diagnosed, she writes up a whole beautiful report and then she meets with the parents, but we did it over Zoom because it was COVID and we, she spent 90 minutes with us and she did a beautiful report, which we were lucky to have. And it's Jojo's footprint for life. And she went through the diagnosis with us line by line, point by point made sure we understood everything. And then she, at the end of the diagnosis, then she gives us recommendations of, you know, mental health professionals, schools that she should go to, doctors she should see. Oh, you got your $7,000 worth. I got my $7,000 worth for sure, for sure, for sure. But even that, when she made the recommendations, she was even like, well, good luck. (laughs) Good luck, lady. Like, hope it works out for you. And so then then you become untethered again. So you get this amazing diagnosis and then you're looking at your child and they're like, holy crap, where do I even start? Yes, take a step back though. So the official diagnosis is. So her official diagnosis was um, autism, ASD, uh, highly gifted, which I know people think, oh, your child is gifted. That's amazing. But being highly gifted, meaning have an IQ that's you know, above a certain level in the 99 percentile range, basically, um, that comes with its own challenges. Oh, yeah. So cognitively highly gifted. And then a smattering of um, a little bit of processing, so slow processing on some areas, and then a smattering of ADHD, but that wasn't the the biggest issue within the diagnosis. It really was the autism was the the linchpin. Yeah, for sure. So when you, when you read, yeah, like diagnosis, autism, what was your immediate reaction and feeling? If you can remember, I know it's been so blurred, but it's also so recent. Like I really thought that like, this is less than two years ago. Yeah, it was really recent. Honestly, I have to, and I feel so guilty about this, but I just bawled my eyes out and I, for, I did not want it to be autism. And I know that sounds so crazy, but I can for some reason in my mind the autism diagnosis was the worst diagnosis that I could have gotten and looking back I know it's not but at the time I just didn't want her to be autistic is it because you didn't know about autism is it because of like what why do you feel like you felt that way and first of all no guilt we don't know I know but but I can say that all you want I am guilty all the time because being having a child who has gone to um we're going to use terms and we'll explain them later who has gone to a neurotypical school her whole life has neurotypical friends is i'm surrounded by neurotypical parents um who are all quote unquote high achievers you know the community we live in being autistic was almost like a failure it was like you failed your child is autistic you're not part of us. She's not part of the neurotypical tribe. She's really different. Not a little bit different. Really different. Um, she is never going to not be autistic. You can't, you know, there's no cure. You can't, um, with dyslexia, you know, you can learn how to read. With autism, it's, it's a huge chunk of who you are. And it affects almost every aspect of your life. And so for me, I just wanted her to be normal. 
I just want her to be normal. And when you look at a child and you know they're so smart and funny and bright and you just think, you didn't, I didn't realize, I didn't have it in my mind that that would be an option for her, that she would be autistic. I didn't realize that her life from now on would be as an autistic person. And it sounds so terrible because now I look back on it and I've gotten through all of that, but I I cried for three months. I was so depressed. You get to process it all because your whole, like you said, your, your whole, whole life, life changes. Shifts. It just shifts. And I feel like the reason why you shouldn't feel guilty is because you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. You know? So it's like the, you just feel the overwhelmed and what you yeah. do know about autism, which you're not yeah. going to honor this tribe, all that stuff that you just said. Yeah. You don't know yeah. the strengths, the bonuses, how it makes Jojo, Jojo. Like you don't think yeah. of that first. No, you, you have don't. to get your, at least for me, I you had to process, you have to process. Yeah. What it really means, yeah. Before you can get to the other side of having to be empowering, exactly. And so you were in the in the middle of that. I, I just, yeah, and I was. I mean, it was really bad, and I didn't have any one. You know, I couldn't share it with any of the other moms that I was friends with. Um, it was considered, oh, oh well, you know, of course, oh well, JoJo's autistic. You know, it was considered, you know, not great. Almost a death sentence, which Almost sounds really dramatic. A, yeah, but. it was, but it felt that way at the time. It doesn't feel that way now, but it felt like a death sentence. It felt like, how am I going to parent? What my what's my life going to be like? Who is she going to be friends with? Where is she going to go to school? What is you know what are we going to do to get her through this? And it was like I, it was almost like a seismic shift in how I was going to have to move forward with her in every aspect of her life and every aspect of my life, and to be selfish. And I will be, and I'm going to be really honest because I know a lot of moms probably felt this. I felt very selfish and I felt very sorry for myself because I thought I've made all these friends. She has this community and I'm, I'm not going to be able to be friends with these people anymore. And I know that sounds harsh, but it is true. And I'm not, I mean, I'm acquaintances with them, but my whole identity around having this child that is so brilliant and funny and in this community just was gone in a day was gone and you felt it instantly and I felt it instantly and the judgment and the not understanding and the you know from my peers my other mothers and it wasn't and I'm not angry with them but it's just that's the way it is it just is it is it is very hard for other people to be in your shoes and understand that if they're not dealing it with themselves, it really is. It really is. And I know the world's changing in the sense of we're being more accepting and diversity and yeah, and neurodivergence, you know, all, almost yeah. being like a strength in, in, yeah. in the world. Yeah. But I don't think it's going to ever get to the point where people understand. Like, you just can't understand it unless no. you lived it. Like, I'm never going to know what chemo is like unless I get diagnosed with cancer and have chemo exactly you know you can educate yourself and you can understand to a certain spot but yeah. it's all theory yeah and until you're living it, it yeah. it's not theory it's there's not you're not going to understand understand 
No, and and I and I think there's such a <laughs> I said it three times. I think in our society right now, there's such a push for having like the perfect child and getting the perfect grades and them going to the perfect school and you know and when you're faced with the prospect that your child's not going to take the same path as the other kids um, and you don't know what that path looks like. I mean, now I know, and it's actually amazing and positive. It's really, really scary. It's really scary. Well, and also in that instant, like we're going to what you're saying, the life that you thought you had drastically changed. Yeah. So now it's grieving not only what has to be done, yeah. But like so much work. What you thought you were going to have. Yep. And I don't feel yep. like people do that to tell you the truth. Yeah. I feel what like, do you mean people don't do that? Like I don't think people grieve. Like when they have a neurodivergent child, I don't think they grieve what they thought they were going to have. Like their dreams. Like yeah. the, their for the lack of a better word, like their vision board, you know, like what yeah. they thought they were going to have, you know, their five-year plan, 10-year plan, because it yeah. changes in an instant. Yep. You get a paper and it says, my yeah. child's autistic. Yeah. And then that changes that path completely. Right. And so right. everything you thought you were going to have changes. doesn't mean it's not going to be better or whatever, but at that moment, you don't know that. You don't like, know. And you need to grieve yeah. that aspect. I feel like I grieve all the time with Jackson with that kind of stuff. Yeah. That's I mean, like, I definitely grieved I definitely went into a low place I definitely cried and I didn't want it to be true and I didn't want to accept it and I wanted it to be different and I was scared and I didn't know what to do or who to call or how to handle it and you know you're just you get a diagnosis you get recommendations but like I said then they just push you out the door and say good luck and that's it that's it there's no one else to help you no one else to tell you what to do. No one else to give you next steps. Um, you're alone. You're alone. You're absolutely alone. In a time where you definitely need community to yeah. help you. Yeah. Hence this podcast. Hence the podcast. Exactly. How did JoJo take it? Like, you know what? She's so amazing. She was relieved. She, when I told her, I was so nervous about telling her and how we were going to tell her and what she was going to think. And when I finally told her, she just said, um, yeah, I thought that's what it was. <laughs> literally. <laughs> immediately, I was like, <laughs> I was so like, why you didn't did? you tell me? Exactly. You could have told me you thought you were autistic and this could have happened a long time ago. I know. And she was like, well, I read a bunch about it and being an autistic and very bright child. And um, yeah, it, it sounds like me. And we never focused on any of the negative when we were telling her. Um, and it was a relief. And this is what I want other parents to know is that so many people dance around a diagnosis and you know, take advice from other mothers or pediatricians or other doctors and delay the idea of really trying to figure out what's wrong with your child, not what's wrong, but what their diagnosis is. And you're not doing, and they think they're doing the child a favor. In reality, you're doing a child a huge disservice. So when Jojo found out I'm autistic and highly gifted, she said, I know myself now. Because before the diagnosis, and this is the scary part, and I've heard a lot of kids parents that haven't diagnosed autistic kids, especially girls, she was saying things like, 
I don't belong on this earth. I don't relate to anyone. I don't feel human. I'm not, I don't know anyone that's like me. Why am I here? I mean, they literally feel, and I've heard this from other autistic people, especially autistic people I've heard, they feel like they are aliens walking this earth and they don't know who their tribe is. Because when you're neurodivergent at that level with autism and highly gifted, you do not relate to the common man whatsoever. And the feeling that she had of being completely disconnected from the rest of the world is very scary. That is. And if we didn't get her diagnosed when we did, it could have gotten really ugly for her very quickly in terms of self-esteem, sense of belonging, sense of community. Why, you know, she would say, why am I here? Why am I on this earth? I don't belong on this earth. Wow. In really, really, really honest. And so once she knew I'm autistic, these are my people, now I know my place in this world and I'm okay with it. It's incredible. That's amazing. It's, it, I, I don't know. I'm going to verbally vomit for a second. So sorry, people. But we are like, we're created to want to belong. We're created to be in community. You yep. know, like everyone has a desire to be great and to be loved. Right. Yep. And I couldn't imagine like a nine-year-old because that's probably like around the age that she was. Like yeah, like three, grade, yeah, nine, nine ten. ten. Yep. Mm-hmm. Already having the thoughts of I don't belong. I can imagine going through the crappiest of years of like middle school where yep. all you're trying to do is identify and then teenagers yep. of like socially belonging and wanting to be liked and all of that stuff. And then, but already living so much of your life feeling like yeah an outsider feeling like an alien like literally you don't belong anywhere like that's so lonely and sad to live that kind of existence which is probably the reason why it's so valuable and important to get diagnosis so that these yeah. individuals and kids can have a sense of belonging yep and then walk the world knowing who they are a little bit more, you know? Yeah. It's one aspect of who they are a little bit more. Yeah. And I think that was my biggest push to at the time to get her diagnosed properly. Cause I just said, no, I'm not going to let you go down like this. This is not right. Like you need, we need to figure out what's going on with you because she had friends. She was really well liked. She's super funny. You know her. Like she's yeah. a crack up, man. She's like she is a crack up. She could have a one man, one woman show or whatever. But she, st- even though she was liked and had friends, she still felt like she didn't belong anywhere. And um, as a parent, I just thought, um, no, this is not going to happen to her. She's too special. So once she got the diagnosis, she got a sense of being. Like she got a sense of. Yeah. Oh, this is me. I'm autistic and highly gifted. Yep. Do you feel like it's, has she created friends with other autistic and highly gifted people or does she still, do you, do you think she still feels no. like an outsider or no. do you feel like she no. takes it on as empowerment? Cause some kids take it, these things on this empowerment and it's the best thing you can give them because they go, yeah. okay, this is me. I can work yeah. with this and I can be the best me. 
Yeah. You know? Not every kid. My one of mine didn't go that way. She's um, like, she did, but she also um but I think the other big thing too, and like what you said, and this is what I try I tell parents that call me and ask me for advice if they think their child is, you know, ADHD or autistic or, you know, transgender or anything like that, is all you want to do in life is to be known. Like you want to know yourself and you want to know who you are and then you want people to know you for that for that person or thing that you are. And giving your se- child a sense of knowing of who they are at that age is the best gift you can give them. And then they can feel empowered by it. So she felt relieved and we but we also said to her this is not who you are 100%. This is a part of you. It's not your identity holy, you're funny, you're this, you're that, you know, and you're autistic. So I didn't want her to get consumed with this idea that all I am is autistic and all I can do is be autistic and all I, you know, I can only relate to autistic people. Um, But what she did do is, um, and we'll talk about it later, we put her in a different school. We put her in a neurotypical school that is very highly attuned to kids that are neurodivergent and very progressive and all the kids are uber creative and they're all kind of marched to their own tune. And so when she was able to go to that school, she met her people and now she's kind of leader of her people. And the majority of friends aren't autistic, but they're very creative. They're very sensitive. They're very interesting. And so she feels, she said, you know, I can be me. I can just be me. What relief. And it's a relief. That's amazing. Like, I feel like that's, if you ever doubted you're a good mom, that's, you you figured out how that JoJo could be JoJo, which yep. is amazing. Yep. Yep. So now she's in a great place. She is just killing it. She's having the time of her life. She's doing amazing at school. We put her in a school with no grades because she can't handle the pressure. Most kids can't handle the pressure that are autistic of grades and tons of homework. And so she's where she needs to be. But if we honestly, if we did not get her diagnosed, I do not know where we'd be right now. I do not know as a teenager, as a, you know, a tween. And she still didn't know who she was. And we were forcing her to be in a highly neurotypical school because she's so smart. You know, people wanted to put her in a school that was highly academic and, she just would have imploded. Just would have imploded by now. That's, I feel like the diagnosis gives you a foundation to move forward. And with, yeah. and certain diagnoses give you tons of resources too. Like the autistic diagnosis gives you resources. Yeah. yeah. Of regional center and like books. That's knowing what books to read. Like, you know, like it just yep. gives you a foundation to move forward and gives you resources. I think as a society, we are way too harsh with, it's like that label is like a two-edged sword. We don't want to label people, but at the same time, we label people. And labeling gives you a foundation to which to speak and a foundation to which to grow and move forward. Especially with the neurodivergent, having a label doesn't pigeonhole you. It just gives you a place to work from. Place to start. Yeah. And I love the way you said that, this is only one part of her. Yeah. You know, like 
she's not just autistic. She's no, and not just gifted. You know, she's so many other things that yep. it's just one aspect. Yeah, of it all. Yeah, and I think, like you said, and talking about diagnosis, I think the problem so many, uh, which really gets my goat and makes me so angry, is so many educators that she had, principals, teachers who loved her, were didn't want me to get her diagnosed because they would say she's going to grow. Oh, the best thing she's going to grow out of this. She's going to grow out of it. Don't worry. That's her temperament. She'll grow out of it. Meanwhile, it's like, you know, Harry's scary at her house and people are losing their shit. (laughs) And no, you're not, you don't grow out of autism. And so many educators and doctors and pediatricians for whatever reason do not want you to diagnose your kid. And they don't want you to diagnose them too early. And they feel like you're overreacting. And they feel like you're trying to make them autistic. I mean, I've heard everything in the freaking book. And it's crazy to me because it's the absolute opposite. It's like when you finally get the right diagnosis, then you know where to start and you know how to help them and they know who they are and you can control your household and control what you're doing and it just gives you such a level of peace and ability to move forward and I do not know and I'd love to try to explore it more on this podcast why so many people do not believe in diagnosing early or even at all it's like that it's like this pushback and it's from people that are supposed to be helping you you know yeah I feel like this it's like two camps yeah it's like we know that if you diagnose early then the earlier you catch things and the earlier you know, yeah. the better off is the better resources and like it's better intervention, better intervention, yeah. all that jazz. It's all proven. But then you have this other side that's like, well, we don't want to because we don't want to misdiagnose and we don't want you to be labeled and we want them to make sure that they're able to grow into what they're supposed to be, yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And then I like, and it's like, wait, but wait, what? Yeah. You know? And then, then I had like the parenting side of like, Denial. I'm yep. a big component of denial. <laughs> like, I yeah. live in denial every single day. I feel like from like <laughs> 11 p.m. to like 7 a.m. I'm just like, I live in a normal life when I sleep, you know? And then I wake up and realize, oh, no, I don't. <laughs> oh, shit. I know. Um, I know that feeling. But that's like a lot of denial of like yep. just not being able to realize because it is a drastic change. One word yep. changes your like yeah. your whole world gets turned yeah. upside down and changes direction and whatnot. Yep. So I understand like the denial aspect of like not wanting to really face it. Yep. Which is hard because you want to be like, suck it up, buttercup. Like this is for your child. But at the same time, you totally understand like, yeah, it's a grieving process and it's a process and it's hard. It's hard. Like, you know, so I get the like labeling aspect of it a little bit, especially like in the school districts where it's like you get labeled and all of a sudden it's like, yeah, that's all you are. And that's it's like, all well, you no, are. Yeah, no, I know. But I, I also know. don't want my kid to get labeled as a bad kid when in reality they just have ADHD and they are paying attention to you. They just need a fidget while they pay attention. Exactly. To you, you know, instead of like the child who isn't focusing when in reality they are focusing. So, yep. oh, so multifaceted to it all. It is. I love it is. I, oh, I love the idea that like one and then people are telling you 
this is your life. This is the way it's going to be. It's like who she is. And then the other way, other sides, people are like, well, she's an outgrow it. I'm like, well, then who do you listen to? Like, do you just wait it out? Or do you like, uh, no. And I, I think place. that and you and I both know, and I, luckily I have a mom that's always told me that you only listen to yourself and it's really scary with your child. You can listen to, you can get advice from every expert under the sun, but at the end of the day, you just have to listen to yourself and do what you think is right. And you know what? It's easier said than done. Someone told me the same thing. You're an expert on your child. You are the only expert on your child. They may be an child. expert on the neuro. Yeah. Di- they may be an expert on g- diagnosing girls with autism, but yep. in the end, you're the expert on JoJo. Yeah. Like you're the one who knows her. Yeah. The best. Because even with the diagnosis, the woman um, who was amazing really was hellbound on JoJo not going to a neurotypical school and wanted her to put her in a school with, you know, all children that were autistic. And I just knew she'd been in a neurotypical school her whole life. I just thought that would be too drastic for her. It would just be too much of a, of a shift. And so even that advice I had to buck. And this is a woman that has 20, you know, degrees and highly accomplished. And I just said to her, no, I'm going to find school that is you know neurotypical but is the right fit because I just don't think putting her in her school with all kids that are autistic is the right place for her either you know so you even have to buck the experts of the experts sometimes and it's not easy it's not easy knowing what to do especially with my personality of always second guessing myself and it's an all or nothing and I always feel like I'm making the wrong decision and like I put so much weight on these decisions and it's like I know the most important decision of your life and I have to have Chris come in and go yeah. We can always move the school if it doesn't work. And you're like, oh, uh, yeah. yeah, we can. <laughs> like, for the most part, most decisions aren't 100% final. You know, yep. like you can backtrack and whatever. Maybe you lost some time. Maybe this happened. But yeah, in reality, most things aren't 100%. And what I, I tell other parents that, you know, come to me and ask me questions about, well, what school? I just say it's never, ever going to be. Any school you end up putting a kid in, whether it's a neurotypical kid or a nerd, it's never going to be a hundred percent. So just give that up and, you know, just try to find the 70 that works. It's never going to, and you know that with your kids, like every school you put them in, there's always a plus or a minus and it's never going to yeah. be perfect. I feel like you have to figure out what's most important so that yep. you can yep. fight for those things. And then I always walk into every IEP going, okay, what do we really want? And what are we willing to give up? Yep. Because... You can't get it all. You can't get it all. No. So what would you have wished someone, you know, we're talking about community and, you know, you wish you weren't as alone in this and like, what would you want, wish someone would have told you in this whole process? Like, what, does that make sense? Yeah. I I wish someone had just said, you know what, there is a place for her and you'll find it and it will you know, she will find her own way without you trying to massage it so heavily. And I think I wish someone had just told me that there would be a place for her and I'd be able to find it, which I ended up doing. But at the time, I just thought it was like you said, all or nothing, you know, um, black or white. And I wouldn't be able to find a good school for her. I wouldn't be able to find friends for her. And if someone had just said there will be a place for her that she fits and it will be okay, then I, I wish someone had told me that too. I just wish they had, you know, and I wish they had told me that she's the one that's okay. And you're the one that's crazy. Like (laughs) at the end of the day, Jojo's fine. It's me, you know, like I'm the one that's crying about her being autistic. She's not, 
I'm the one devastated. She's not going to have the same friends. She's not, you know, she's fine. You know, I wish that someone had said, it's just really about you and she's going to be okay. It's not, it's not going to end rock her world, you know? That's yeah. Isn't it amazing how much we project onto them thinking that this, this or that, whatever. And in reality, it's just like our baggage and our, Yep. Everything that we need to process and go through. All of our insecurities, all of our wishes, desire, hopes that we put on them. Yep. It's crazy. Like it didn't rock her at all. She was like, it actually empowered her from the get-go. And yep, you're the one who cried. Yeah, I'm the one that cried for three months. (laughs) 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 Wished I'd never been a mother, but I'm going to be honest, I did for moments. I thought, I just, this is too hard. Like, I can't do this. I definitely feel like every mother has thought that. Whether it's for a nanosecond or for months, which for me, it's been months. <laughs> I'll be honest there too. I feel like every mother at some point, the chaos gets so overwhelming that you're yeah. just like, what did what I, sign did I up? do? Yeah. What did I sign up for? What did I do? And I think with a neurodivergent, just because there's so many that does, there's so much stuff that you have to accommodate and do and let know. And like, I mean, we become quasi experts in like everything. Everything. You know, and we have to still know how to like cook, clean, do like, and then have a business if you have a business and like work and like do all this other stuff in addition to knowing the basics of OT and physical therapy and speech therapist and trauma brain and the autistic brain and dyslexia and how people learn to read and working memory. And like, it's like, really? I know. It's insane. It's insane. Like, so I think at some point the overwhelm gets too overwhelmed and you think, what what did did I I do? do? What did I do? I did not sign up for this. And then usually your child gives you a smile or a giggle or they say something funny and you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're so All cute. Right. I know. They're the best. She is. She is so funny, man. She's a creative artistic She one is too. just, honestly, she rocks my world. She's so funny. Um, and she's like my best friend. It's so, it's crazy. She's awesome. Yeah, she is. For That's sure. amazing. Okay, so- what this is the last question i think okay unless there's any okay is there anything that you want to say no like, i just I mean, I, we have a whole podcast that so we can say we can talk about it but i do want to emphasize the fact because i don't want anyone to feel bad that i really thought my world was coming to an end and i really cried for three months i am not joking i cried myself to sleep for three months i felt sorry for myself I was having a pity party. I was basically a nutbag. So I want people to know that 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 happens and I got through it. I'm okay, but I'm not going to beat myself up about it either. You know, it's well, all those emotions are valid. Yeah. Your emotions are valid. Yeah, I know. I know. So that's it. What else? All right. Well, to top it off on a high note, what's yeah. one of the things that people say that you probably want to punch them in the throat for? Oh, God. A couple things. Really? She really autistic? She seems so normal. <laughs> Are you sure she's autistic, Suzanne? Really? Do you know what you're talking about? Well, what do you mean she's autistic? She doesn't. This is the best one. She's never like that with me. Never. I have a neighbor that she'll go visit and she's like, you know, perfect pally at her neighbor's house and the neighbor 
always says to me, well, maybe, you know, uh, she's not like that with me. She never has a tantrum with me. Maybe it's the way you talk to her. <laughs> maybe it's the way that you're with her. Maybe you're too accommodating. I, maybe you just need to be stricter. Okay. How do you respond? And I, how do you want to respond? I literally just go, yeah, okay. That's good advice. Thanks. I'll think about that. And in my head, I just want to be like, F you. You have no idea what you're talking about. You have no clue the level of judgment you've just levied on me as a mother. And you have no idea how, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like how high and mighty you sound. You know, it is the most ludicrous thing when some other parent tries to tell me that JoJo is probably not really autistic because she seems so normal. It, it's just, it's, it's insane. And you would be surprised at how much I get that. I feel like I would be able to handle it from strangers because like, yeah, strangers is no big deal. But it's yeah. when you're friends, you're like, really? What? Really? You're like, so you think of your vast knowledge of autism presented yeah. in females, not just what you know yeah. from Hollywood and like all yeah. of what the, you know, the movie, what, exactly. What exactly. is given as with males majority, right? Yeah. You're saying that your opinion of this is more accurate than the $7,000 neuropsych yeah, evaluation exactly. that we did with a doctor who specializes in autism in females. Yeah. So, okay. There you have it. Yeah. I always, I, I retort the same way in this. And when people say stupid things to me like that of, oh, I'll take it into consideration. Yeah. Thanks. And if I ever really say that to you with a smile, yeah. it means F you. Yeah. F off. Yeah. yeah. I normally turn around and yeah. be like, considered it and no. Yeah. You know, because it's not. Yeah. Yeah. But what I want to say is, really? Were you really that stupid? Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. It's not even that. It's like, okay, well, then you come and you raise her for a year in your house. And let's see what she does in your house behind closed doors. So, yeah, there there you have it. Go for yeah. it. If yeah. you feel like you can handle her and you would be better off parenting her because I'm not strict enough or I don't put enough boundaries on her or when she cries, I should yell at her. and She's having an autism meltdown. I should just lock her in the closet and tell her to shut up. Then um, go have at it. Try it out. I kind of see if it works. I kind of want to see if it works. These neurotypical, yeah, parents. Yeah, I want them. Sometimes yeah. I, I really wish we could do like a a, a TV show where we swap. Yeah, totally. You know, you know like, like that those wife shows. Swap? Yeah, the yeah. wife swap we show. Do like a swap. You should of do kids and be like that is a really good TV show. Yeah, here you go. Let's and now do a you neurotypical know neurodivergent family with. swap. Yeah, exactly. That would be fun. That would be awesome. Yeah. Okay, well, maybe this podcast gets big <laughs> enough that we're going to do that. Okay. That would be so good. Goal in life. That's great. For the podcast, at least. Yep. Yep. Awesome. Okay. Well, Suzanne, I just wanted to say thank you for sharing. And I'm excited to be embarking on this Me too. journey with you. Me too. Um, to let other families and parents and caregivers and everyone know that they're not alone. Yep. And they can come to us for real, honest conversation yep and now they know who you are a little bit more of who you are and as they continue to listen they'll get to know us more and more yeah and more no I'm excited and I think 
I think a lot of people need to hear what we're saying, and I hope that they hear it. And it helps. I really do. I really do. All right. Well, let's move forward. Okay. Thank you for listening. We truly appreciate it. Please subscribe to Finding Neurodivergence through Anchor, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.